Hey, feel free to move your chairs wherever you want, wherever you feel comfortable. I'm glad you're here uh, with us for worshiping the lawn. I watch a lot of tennis. And when you say, like, meet at the grass or meet at the lawn, that's pretty prestigious. All right? The Wimbledon, you ever heard of it? Grass tennis. I feel like we're doing Wimbledon worship. Okay? So feel pretty proud about that. A um, couple other announcements to kind, of, to kind of piggyback on what Becky was saying. Jenny's memorial, Jenny Mendoza's memorial is um, not this Monday, but next Monday. And then uh, Miss Rita, see her if you would like any more details. Uh, But her daughter is thinking that the amount of people at the church could probably, if you have the time, you need to wear a mask. Uh, The address and and the times are in the back on a handout that was made. Uh, But if you'd like to attend, that'll be next Monday. Not this Monday, but next Monday. And so the details are in the back. And then again, as Becky uh, mentioned, the men's fellowship will have it either inside, as the ladies did, or outside. We'll figure that out, depending on how many guys there are. But we'll buy food. You know, I'm already kind of dibsing breakfast burritos. Um, So if you guys want to buy some other things um, and bring that, that's fine. We just want to keep things, um, I guess, safe, you know, as safe as we can. Um, And then also... Uh, VBS, our Super Saturday. Of course, as you know, things like Awana, um, the school that's here, things have changed. And so we've had to learn to be agile and to pivot as needed. And this is one of the things that we had VBS. All this stuff was planned for, paid for, ordered. We do a week of kids ministry and outreach. We would normally be in the park um, for the concerts in the park with our pop-up tent and our table handing out water, inviting people to VBS, but they're not doing the concerts in the park. Um, We're not doing VBS as we were. So we're going to do kind of a concentrated uh, VBS on a Saturday, calling it kind of a super Saturday. And that will be uh, August um, 29th, August 29th. So it's the last Saturday of August. And so see Debbie and the Nunez's uh, and Victoria uh, if you want to be uh, involved in that, and, th- and other people, Rose, and everyone that's involved in uh, VBS, um, let's just get together and we'll kind of figure that out. Um, also, my son Adam, he's 18 today. Um, so it's off to the military. Amen. <laughs> Hoorah! Wait, what, is, what does the Army do? Okay, they don't do anything. They're just silent killers. Okay, so... Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm proud of my son Adam. And uh, an update on Chloe. I want to thank you guys for your prayer um, and support towards Chloe. Uh, the doctor said that it wasn't good that she would fly back because of the, she still got a floating bone and the congestion and the altitude wasn't good. And Chloe is playing it off like a trooper. But what actually happened now that we get to the bottom of it is she was in the back seat of a golf cart and her two friends were driving. And it was at night, it was at 11, and they hit a tree, and Chloe flew forward and then hit her face on the key of of the ignition of the golf cart. So the key hit her here and then ran all the way up from her nose to her her forehead. So that's where her big gash is from. And then her broken nose, she's got two black eyes. She looks like a, a scarred raccoon or something like that. And so... I said, Chloe, at least you got your um, Halloween costume figured out for this fall. <laughs> um, and then 
someone anonymously, maybe it was the church effort, uh, donated uh, to us unsolicited, but someone uh, reached out. I don't know who it was, but someone was a huge blessing to us um, and gave us money. And so that'll really help with the, the medical bills and things like that because we're trying to figure out insurance, you know, and we don't, it's not covered and it's out of state. So it's really complicated. Um, and she did have to go to two hospitals and, and a plastic surgeon. And so uh, we don't know. We're, we have to work that out. But thank you for everyone or whoever. Uh, super appreciated on that. Take your Bibles if you would. And I'm sorry we don't have a screen and slides. What I'm recommending for you to do today, there's going to be, there's going to be some verses to turn to. If it's too fast, because primarily we're going to be in the Old Testament, I'm assuming it's going to be too fast. And thank you, Mr. Bumblebee, for joining us. Okay, come again sometime. Um, then just write the verses down and then go back to them later or get a copy of the notes or listen to the message online, um, you know, to kind of go over it again. So I apologize in advance that we're kind of working at not full capacity, but I want to tell you, I love it outside. Look at Miss Southern Erin over there with her <laughs> Kentucky hat and umbrella. I told you the lawn's prestigious. What are we at, the Derby? Yeah. So we're just making it work. Um, and so with that, if you have a device or a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 3. We're going to start there, but I'm telling you, we're going to go to a lot of Old Testament passages so if you can't find your way around, don't worry about it. Just listen to me. Read the verses. Get a, get a copy of the verses afterwards. But starting in John chapter 3. Remember, we're, John's writing a letter. And he's writing from his perspective as the Holy Spirit is inspiring him. But forensically, if you see a crime, you see a crime... You see a crime, I see a crime, and we're interviewed by the police independently. If the stories match up exactly the same, that raises more suspicion than anything, right? <laughs> so some people say the guy, you know, was in a, in a blue sports car. The other person says, I think it was a station wagon. The other guy says, no, I think it was a convertible. No, I, I'm pretty sure it was a dump truck, you know, and so... I'm not saying that that's the way that the Gospels are written, but you have John giving his viewpoint that's very, very, very different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But they're saying the same thing. Although John is the only one that mentions certain miracles and certain individuals, today he's going to mention Nicodemus. He mentions Nicodemus three times. The other gospel writers don't even bring this guy up. So you got to ask yourself, okay, John, I know the Holy Spirit's inspiring you, but what's, what's in it with Nicodemus? What can we learn from this guy, Nicodemus, and Jesus' interaction with this ruler of the Jews? Now, where we ended off last week, as John's writing, remember, he's not writing chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. It's one continuous thought. So if we don't shut off at the end of chapter 2 and then reboot on chapter 3, 
we would have read from last week that Jesus knows the hearts of all people. He knows what's in man. And so he goes from saying that he knows what's in your heart to now, very next phrase, very next thought, he's going to deal with a religious man named Nicodemus. Chapter 4, he's going to deal with a totally different person, the woman at the well. So you have kind of this religious sinner, and then you kind of have this regular sinner. She's living in sin, she's living in adultery, fornication, been married multiple times, kind of average Samaritan sinner lifestyle. Nicodemus, he's a Bible scholar, but also lost sinner without Christ. So you have this goody-two-shoe, self-righteous, religious lost person, and then you have this not goody-two-shoe, icky, yucky-looking sinner, right? So you have a good sinner and a bad sinner. I know there's no such thing. I'm just trying to say, Jesus knows the hearts of all people. He's dealing with this legalist, self-righteous, hyper-right-wing religious, doing it on his own, trying to get to God on his own terms, thinking he's better than other people um, person. And then he, then he knows the hearts of him, and he knows the hearts of this woman. And um, so I wanted to pick it up from last week that Jesus knows what's in the heart of all people. And then he goes right in, John goes right into this thought. John chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to read down to verse 13, but we're primarily going to take verse 10 as our kind of our platform today. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a leader, prestigious, honored, respected in the religious community. This man came to Jesus by night. Now, a lot of scholars think it's because of the fear of the Jews. You could have that position. It could be he's busy. You know, like a lot of people that have jobs during the day, you, don't, you can't meet for lunch, right? You just have to reschedule and do a lot of your meetings at night. Could be, I don't know. Either way, he comes to him and says, Rabbi, and I think this is interesting. He's a teacher, yet Jesus isn't of the Sanhedrin like Nicodemus. He, he wasn't raised in the school of Gamaliel. He, wasn't, he didn't go to rabbinical training, yet Jesus has a handle on the scripture better than anyone. He's who the whole Bible is about. He's the author. It's like when you read the Bible, it's Jesus' autobiography. Remember he said, all the Psalms, the prophets, the law, everything was written concerning me. Jesus is the grand central subject of the scripture. So Nicodemus, not knowing that, I don't know if he's saying this out of respect, but he calls Jesus rabbi. It's interesting, picked up pickleball, um, introduced it to Joe and he beat me, so I'm kind of depressed. Uh, but I was out at the pickleball court the other day and um, I'm meeting friends, right? Just you show up and you just play pickleball. And um, there was this guy, he was, went to, he's a pastor at a church. I'm like, oh, pastor, <laughs> you know? And then there was the mayor there. Oh, Mr. Mayor, right? And then they said, well, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor at Grace Baptist Church. And they're like, well, pastor. And I said, please, <laughs> just call me Neil, right? <laughs> and the other guys, and then the mayor's wife says, oh, just call him, uh, well, I forget his name. Uh, just call him Ed, you know, just, just, he doesn't like being called mayor. And the other guy's like, dude, don't call me pastor. So we're all just kind of like on first name basis. But it was a respect thing, right? It was like a, I know what he meant. 
So maybe Nicodemus is doing this respect thing towards Jesus. Maybe he's condescending. We don't know, but he says this. We know you're a teacher come from God, for no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Well, remember Jesus in John chapter 2, he comes out of the closet. His coming out situation is that he turns the water to wine at the wedding, right? He reveals, I am who I claim to be. I'm going to prove it, water to wine. And then he goes to the feast. He turns over the tables. He's cleansing the temple, and no one arrests him. They're just thinking, like, who is this guy that says this house is his father's house? And then the Bible says he did many more miracles, but it doesn't say what miracles those were. So Nicodemus is kind of picking up on this guy has a command on the scripture. He's doing works that seemingly are from God. And so he's, he's, that's what he's uh, addressing. But here's what Jesus does. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say unto you, verse 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, remember there's, a, there's another rich young ruler that came to Jesus. What must I do to be saved type of thing? Jesus says, sell all that you have, take up your cross, follow me. And the guy went away sad because he had many possessions. And Jesus says, how hardly can the rich enter the kingdom of God? With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. But Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter with the woman at the well in John 4, where we're going to go. She says, where are we supposed to worship, this mountain or another mountain? Jesus went right to the heart of the issue. Hey, how you're living? Let's talk about that. And, um, and then he dressed that. I think when Nicodemus, he, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't do the small talk. In other words, he goes right, because remember, he knows what's in the heart of all people right here. If Jesus were to come to me, he would probably say something different than what he'd say to you. I might try to divert it and be like, hey, Jesus, what's the best denomination out there? And he might say, hey, bud. You know, he might come at me because he knows what's in your heart. So Nicodemus is coming to him, and Jesus, it's like Jesus sets the tone. He says, okay, great. You, you think I'm, I'm doing a lot of great miracles. You think I'm a rabbi. You must be born again. So it's like when he went to the rich guy, he said, go sell everything you have because he knew what his problem was, right? Materialism, covetousness, uh, worldliness. And so with Nicodemus, he's coming to him because maybe Nicodemus is proud. Maybe he thinks, you know, he knows some things about God because he knows the word of God, but maybe not the God of the word. And so Jesus cuts right to the chase and gets right into it with this issue of transformation. So Nicodemus, look at his response. Nicodemus, verse 4, How can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? No, ridiculous, right? He's thinking merely physical. Jesus is speaking spiritual, but it seems logical, right? I mean, if you don't have the Spirit of God, like Nicodemus wasn't filled with the Spirit of God. All he has is his human intellect. He's like, that doesn't make sense, Jesus. James, you're not a small guy. How is your mom bigger or smaller than you? Okay, you couldn't enter a second time in your mom's tummy and come out again and say, I've been born again, right? 
So Nicodemus is thinking in those terms, you know, he's just thinking physical, what he could see, and it doesn't make sense to him. Jesus answered and said in verse 5, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now I'll pick on you guys again. When your lovely wife says, my water's broke, what does that mean? <laughs> it means like, let's go to the hospital. Nevaeh's about ready to show up, whether we want her to or not, right? She's coming. And so what Jesus is saying is, you have a physical birth. You're in, when you're in your mom's tummy, you are surrounded by 100% of what? Water. So you're born of the water, and then you're born, that's your first physical birth. Then you're born of the spirit. That's your second birth when you get born again, when you receive Christ into your heart. So he clears that up in verse 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh, the water, your mom, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Christian, becoming a God, or receiving Christ. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now he changes the subject and he, he uses a, an illustration of wind. And praise the Lord for a little breeze today. Amen? Feels good. The wind blows where it wishes. I don't think anyone here could be like, hey, give, give me a little bit more wind on my face. From the north, please. A little bit northeast, maybe. Get my good side. Um, <laughs> we don't know where the wind comes, where, what it does. Um, you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. Wind and spirit is the same. It's the Greek word pneumos, which is where we get our English word pneumatic, which if you work in construction, a pneumatic tool is your friend. Amen, Walt? If you have a, you probably use a hammer, but you've also probably used an air nail gun too, right? If you're roofing, you don't want to hand nail the whole roof or staple it by hand. You want a pneumatic tool because the air does all the work, right? I was roofing one time with my 275-pound cousin, Mitch, and we're on this roof, and it had a pretty steep angle, and he shot a nail in his knee, a 16-penny, which are the big ones, and it went in, and it locked his, it, it made his knee at a, like a 90-degree angle, and we're like, uh, hey, big guy, how are we going to get you off the roof, right? Because he couldn't get down on the ladder, but um, so Jesus is talking about pneumos, wind, air power. And he says, so is everyone that's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said, how can these things be? How can these things uh, be? And Jesus answered and said to him, here's the verse that I want to kind of land on. Are you a teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? Seems kind of harsh or maybe blunt or to the point. But Jesus knows that he's going to go on record. He knows that his words are, are going to be inspired by John and going to be recorded so that we could learn about this interaction between this religious lost man and Jesus. And he says, sounds like a five liter V8. I'm not sure. Most assuredly, I say unto you, we speak what we know and testify of what we see, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? 
No one has ascended up into heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Notice the location where Jesus is inferring at the end of verse 13. He says, I'm down here, I'm in front of you, but I'm also in heaven at the same time. Jesus, in just a matter of a short amount of verses, is displaying his omniscience. He knows everything. He knows the heart of man. He knows Nicodemus and his uh, his omnipresence. He's here. He's there. He's everywhere at once. And so my main point um, is this. Nicodemus, You don't know about God's purpose since the fall that he was pointing towards transformation the whole time? Now, it's easy for us to say that looking backwards, right? I don't know if it'd be be so easy if all you had was the Old Testament. So what I want to do is take a little journey through the Old Testament to show you what Nicodemus, as a teacher— more astute than probably us and more acquainted with the Old Testament and its original languages than us would have and should have known if he would have known what it meant to be born again or to be transformed by the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would minister to your people. I thank you for this wind. I thank you for this breeze. I thank you that you've breathed all scripture and inspired it so that we could learn of you Help us not to just learn facts, but help us to learn of the Father. And I know, Lord, that nothing could be, I guess, revealed or interpreted or illuminated except by your Spirit. And so I pray, Lord, uh, that you would be our teacher and the teaching today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to do a little cat and mouse thing here with Nicodemus in that Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you're a religious leader and you don't know these things. How could that be? So Don't get me wrong, because I'm going to come back and show you kind of Nicodemus's progression and and transformation through the Gospel of John. But where he's at in this stage in his life, I'm going to be kind of a little bit of uh, a cat and mouse with Nicodemus, all right? This is a little bit different message, but I want you to kind of trek with me, if you will. So I'm going to be me, and I'm going to call Nicodemus Nick, okay? Just, we're just chatting it up a little bit. So here we go. Nick, you don't know. You're a teacher. You don't know that God made us a body, a soul, and a spirit. And he told Adam, the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of death, you will die and be separated from God. Did you know that, Nicodemus? Genesis 2-7 says this, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, that's his body, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's his spirit. And man became a living soul. That's his mind, his will, his emotions. So man's three part is a body, a soul, and a spirit. But did you know that after Adam and Eve ate of that tree, they died, they were kicked out of the garden, but they lived physically and soulically 900 years after the fact. And God said the day. And he's very literal on the day. You know, the first day God made this, the second day God made that. And the seventh day he rested, the day you eat, you're going to die. Well, what died the day that Adam and Eve ate of the tree, the no-no tree? Their spirit died. God is a spirit. We're going to find out in John 4. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Must. Must. So 
This is the first indication, Nicodemus, that at, we, we come not in the image of God per se because God's image is a spirit. He's not a man. And so you read in Genesis chapter 5 that when Adam and Eve were having children, they were born after their image. So this image was then perpetuated that you come out of your mother's womb, a body, soul, and a dead, separated spirit needing redemption, needing life. We are, we are excluded from the garden. We're excluded from God's presence because we're broken, we're fallen, we're sinful. You don't know that, Nicodemus? That's how we arrived. We're like stillborns, dead on arrival. We, we, we can't enter into the kingdom of God based on our, our good behavior, or our best efforts, or by some list of religious rules. You could know the whole Bible, Nicodemus, but if you're not born again, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of God. You could keep every dietary rule and every sabbatical law and try to keep all the 613 commandments of the old covenant, but if you offend in one point, you're guilty of it all. You can't pull it off, Nicodemus. No one can. We're all broken. We showed up dead. Next point. Nicodemus, you don't know that the promised seed of the woman that God conversed with Adam and even the garden would be born of a virgin. He'd be without sin. He'd be the last Adam with the body, a soul, and a life-giving spirit. Genesis 3.15, you see one of God's first prophecies. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's speaking to the, ser the serpent. Between your seed and her seed, capital S, proper noun, he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Kind of cloaked prophecy there, but women have eggs. They don't have seeds. And so what he's alluding to is that, that someday there's going to be a virgin that's going to conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. You didn't know, Nicodemus, that, that this virgin birth, if, if he's born of a virgin, he doesn't come from the lineage of Adam or with Adam's corrupt, fallen, sinful race. So Jesus was the only one born body, soul, and a spirit. We're not born that way. That's why he's the head of this next race. That's why God is continually telling us, get out of the race of Adam and into the race of Christ. If you're still in Adam, you're dead. If you're in Christ, you're alive. Quickened. Made alive spiritually. You didn't know that, Nicodemus? Did you think it was all about rule keeping? You think it was all about the Sabbath? What you wear, what you do, what you don't do? It's not what it's, it's not a behavioral issue. It's a birth issue. Next one, Nicodemus, you don't recall studying the, and reading that man was born a sinner and therefore needing a savior, not to reform them, but to transform them. See, man in religion wants to reform themselves. God wants to transform you from within. Religion wants to conform you from without. We learn that. Let's go back to one of the oldest books in the Bible, Job. Job 15, 14 says this. He's asking this rhetorical question. What is man that he should be clean? And he which is born of a woman, that he should be righteous. Job, is, he's given little pineapple, little nuggets. He's, he's saying truths that he's like, look. And Job 25, 4. How then can man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? You know what he said in two different verses? If you're born of a woman, which... Everyone here has been born of a woman, yeah? Just checking. I know we're in a pretty fluid culture these days. Last time I checked, everyone here has been born of a woman. 
So what Job is saying is everyone born of a woman is unclean, unjustified, unrighteous. David says the same thing in Psalm 51.5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Not that his mother was a sinner, but that he came out of his mother born a sinner. And so, Nicodemus, you didn't know that every time a person's mentioned in the Bible of being born, they're born broke. They're born needy. And religion is not going to fix the solution, it can't replace being born again. You need to be made new. It's not turning over a new leaf, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, going to promise keeper and making a promise that you'll never keep or try to keep or, you know, you you don't have a relationship with rules. So he's getting right to the heart of the matter with the religious legalist person. And he's saying, this is it, Nicodemus. Next thought I want to bring up. Nick, if I'm having this conversation, you don't know that God spoke about this in the law and the prophets, teaching that he would take out our old stony heart and give us a new one, his spirit, and that he also called for a circumcision of the heart. Basically this, I hope no one's had to do it. Maybe there's some here. Maybe you've known relatives that have had it. But has anyone had a heart, open heart surgery in here? Any, you have? You didn't do it yourself. Anyone that's had open heart surgery cannot perform this on themselves. Um, Praise the Lord, you're still here. Amen. My point is this. You didn't birth yourself. You couldn't take out your old heart and give you a new heart. It's the same thing that Jesus is trying to say that he was saying in the Old Testament and he's saying it in the New Ezekiel 36. Nicodemus would have known this. This is a major prophet. God is saying to the nation of Israel through the prophet Ezekiel 36, verse 25, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the old stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a new heart and I will put my spirit within you. What? (laughs) That's pretty clear, Nicodemus. God was talking about heart transformation in the old covenant. Even way back in Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, and the Lord thy God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your seed. Look, you don't circumcise your heart. <laughs> you know? I don't know anatomy, so I don't know what they circumcise, so I won't even bring that up. So, but I know you don't circumcise your heart. So God was referring to something internally, and he said, I will do it, because you can't do it to yourself. Next point. Nick, we're almost done. We have a few more. Nick, You don't recall that it's not a behavioral issue. It's always been a birth issue and that God would forgive us and fill us with his life and uh, and the law of the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 33. This is a classic. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them 
and I will write it in their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall no longer teach his neighbor or each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So the new covenant is God. He forgives you and removes all your sin, and then he fills you. The old covenant couldn't happen. Why? Year after year, animal after animal, sacrifice after sacrifice, covering, 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 but not a final removal, not a taking away, not a casting behind his back, not a remembering no more, not a blotting out, not into the depths of the sea, not until Jesus Christ came, went to the cross, died once and for all for our sins, was buried three days again, rose up again and said, I will put my spirit within you if you just but call upon the name of the Lord. He'll forgive you and fill you. Nicodemus, this is what it was all about. You can't live in the old covenant. It was never a, it was like a band-aid. It was all pointing to Jesus. And you can't be a hybrid either and trying to combine the two. You're either a new creature in Christ where old things have passed away and all things are become new, or you're trying to put new wine in old wineskins and you'll just frustrate yourself and others around you. Nicodemus. Uh, here's another verse, Ezekiel eleven nineteen, And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. And I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a new heart. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. Amen over there, Nevaeh. She's trekking. She's supporting me. I appreciate that. Nick. You didn't catch King David's prayer in that it was a heart issue. He prayed an old covenant prayer that can only be realized in the new covenant. Giving her too much encouragement. She's rattling the cage. Amen. Preacher, preacher. Psalm 5110. I used to sing this song and play this on, on the guitar, and it's a good song. It's a great, create in me a clean heart. Oh, oh, oh God. But if you don't understand the context and the covenant, the old and the new, you would apply this in a wrong context. So David prays, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. This is not a new covenant prayer. You know, when you receive Christ, he forgives you all of your sin. He gives you a new heart. Uh, he gives you a new past. All of your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. And he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You're sealed unto the day of redemption. Once you're saved, you're always saved and sealed with God's Holy Spirit. So you didn't catch that, Nicodemus, that even David was praying for what can now be possible in the new covenant. Nick, when you taught through the prophet Joel, minor prophet Joel, did you not believe the Lord when he said that he would pour out his spirit on whosoever calls on him? Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And it shall be afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And I will pour out my spirit on the slaves and of the slave women in those days. And it shall be that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's exactly what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. And guess what happened on the day of Pentecost? 
boom shakalaka. The Holy Spirit was poured out. People were filled uh, with, the, with the saving grace of God. And from that point on until this day, 2,000-something years later, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord receives the Spirit of God. Gets a heart transplant. You can't do it. You, you get born again. You can't do it yourself. You didn't even born yourself the first time. <laughs> Birth yourself the first time. <laughs> you know what I meant. Um, Nick, <laughs> like how I'm calling him Nick, we're just such buddies. Um, Nick, pal, buddy, do you not know that the Father and His Spirit, His glory, His presence, is not something that the hands of sinful mankind can conjure up, build, or contain by their own effort? God has always and only wanted an eternal dwelling and relationship within our hearts. Look, do you think God's in the building right now and we're outside of the building? Like God's in church, but we're not? <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? I just thought about that. Hey, God, uh, we're <laughs> if you're in there, um, come out and join us. <laughs> I know you can only go in buildings. Um, no, I know you know that. I know you don't believe that. But listen, listen to this sermon where um, Stephen, he refers back to Isaiah. And you should read the whole thing. It's awesome. I know you've read it, but it, when I read it again, uh, I just thought, man, this guy was really just addressing a core Jewish issue that Nicodemus could have benefited from too. He's in the middle of his sermon. He says, but the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands as the prophet Isaiah says. Heaven is my throne um, and earth is my footstool. What is the house that you'll build me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has not my hands made all of these things? The point is, in the rest of his sermon, that God wants to dwell in your heart. And it has to first start, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm not good enough to get myself into heaven. Maybe you're a good religious person that's a sinner, not good enough for heaven like Nicodemus. Maybe you're the woman at the well. Or in John chapter 4, maybe you're that, that ruler that his, his, his son is sick, and you're just kind of a, a businessman, but you're like neither super religious or super, you know, carnal. You're just kind of lost. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, but either way, when you call in the name of the Lord, he will fill you. He will give you that new birth and you will be in the kingdom of God. I have, I met this guy uh, recently. His name's Raul. He's from India. So we had a great conversation because I go to India. I used to when I could get a visa. Don't go anymore. Uh, no one could go to India anymore really, uh, for what we do. Uh, all the pr prime ministers shut it all down. Uh, anyone Christian? Eh, nope. The, the Hindus are getting really aggressive against any, any contrary faith, okay? But I was telling him what we did, and he's like, man, that's so awesome that you're doing that. Thank you for supporting my people in the country where our country wouldn't support lepers and uh, kind of the off-scouring of, of their society, with karma, you know, they got what they got coming to them, so let's not help them. So, um, so I said, so how long you been here? He told me. I said, so are you a citizen? He said, yeah. Um, he, got, he got a citizenship. He got married and then went through the right channels. And I said, well, congratulations, man. Um, and he loves this country. And um, so uh, we're going to play pickleball, too. He's a, he's a pickleball player. So 
cool guy, citizenship, an American. And you guys know how immigration works. I don't need to inform you, but I want to make this point because Jesus is saying, in order to get into the kingdom, here's a requirement. Uh, remember Marcus from Utah? Um, his, his name is originally Omar. He's Muslim. He's from Africa. Um, became a good friend of mine. We played tennis. We skied together. Marcus was a good buddy. He was a hardcore Muslim. He got saved, received Christ, and he was a Mormon slayer. This guy would not stop. He was so, like, on point. You did not want to go toe-to-toe with Omar, right? But I remember he wanted to be an American citizen so bad, and I helped him through the whole immigration process, went down with him, saw him take the oath and take the test and, you know, uh, do all that's required, and he wanted to do it the right way. And I love Marcus. He's just a good brother, good friend of mine to this day, American citizen. But when it comes to my kids, Adam's 18, and the military is calling for your service. But how did he get to be an American? He was born in Fresno, California, right? What? Fresno? That place is awesome. So he was born in probably one of the most prestigious cities in all of California, Fresno. Great, I mean, go get a B&B, Airbnb there, or invest, you know, uh, real estate's pretty soft there. Um, But so he was born in Fresno, California, and he's a citizen by birth, not by behavior, right? He could act unpatriotic, He could take our old flag on the top of our church. (laughs) He could rip it down and throw it in the garbage. He would never do that, but he could. And though he's acting un-American, there's people that are acting un-American right now. It breaks my heart how they're desecrating monuments and, and our country and our flag and all that we've stood for. But if you're born here, you're still an American no matter how bad you behave. Why? Because it's not a behavioral issue. It's a birth issue. You're a citizen. Look, Adam could cuss me out. I'm 18. I'm out of here. You know, forget you. But if he if he leaves, um, he's still my son, no matter how he behaves. Why? It's a birth issue. Citizenship. It's a birth issue. I'm not saying I want my son to act like an idiot or people should act unpatriotic. I'm not, I'm not condoning bad behavior. Don't hear only that part, okay? Because I, I believe that you need to be a good citizen. You need to be a good child of God. You need to do things that glorify God. You need to behave in a certain way that's consistent with your identity as a Christian. But if you get it wrong right from the beginning, thinking that if you act a certain way, then you'll become American. What if I went to Canada and I'm like, I'm, I'm chugging maple syrup. I'm waving a maple leaf. I got my Mountie boots on. I'm like, hey, 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 hey. Does that make me Canadian? So all I'm saying is like behavior doesn't make you who you think you are. You could act however you want. Do all the religion you want. It's not going to make you a Christian. The only thing that makes you a Christian is your birth. Your birth. You've got to be born into the kingdom. Then focus on the behavior. But start right 
first. Get the first things first, right? Amen. Amen, Kathy. I'm so glad to see you today. I had in the back of my mind you're already out of here. Because I, I went to the office this morning, and normally Kathy's there on Sunday morning, and you weren't there. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Kathy's already come. So I'm, I was really glad to see you today. So wrapping this whole thing up, Nick, <laughs> I know it takes the Spirit of God to know the things of God, but here's what God has to say about being spiritually born again from above. Now we're going to move into the new covenant, okay? Nicodemus, Jesus gave these truths to his apostles, and here's what they had to say about the issue. 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uses the phrase, born again. 1 Peter, same same author, same chapter, but verse 18. For you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, from your vain way of living, which you have received by the tradition of your father. So it's, you can't buy your way in, you can't earn your way in, but it was with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish or spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last days for you. By him, Jesus, you believe in God who raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God seeing that you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto an unfeigned love of the brethren see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently verse 23 being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible seed by the word of God which lives and abides forever Remember Genesis 3.15? It's going to be through the seed of a woman. Women have eggs, not seed. Men have seed. Women have eggs. But God was saying there's going to be something miraculous about a woman that has a seed. Abraham, through you and your seed, all the nations will be blessed. Okay. It's unfolding, unfolding. Mary and Joseph come. The promised seed shows up. And now Peter's saying, You're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word. Jesus is the word, the word that became flesh, the incorruptible seed. James 1.18, of his own will, he begot us and brought us forth with the word of truth for us to be the certain first fruits of his creatures, his creation. Titus 3, just bear with me, just a couple more thoughts. After the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing and regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. John 1, 12, same book, same author, same spirit, but look, he already said this, John did, and now he's pointing out Nicodemus. He's the only author that does. But remember John 1, verse 12, he says, but as many as received Jesus... To them gave he power to become the children of God, to those that believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, but were born of God. It's already talking about that new birth. First John 5, 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. <clears throat> so uh, let's give Nicodemus some slack. This is the final descent. Okay. I've been picking on my buddy Nick for a little bit. You're a religious teacher. You claim to be a ruler. 
yet you don't know these basic transformational truths. It was not about rule keeping. It was about a relationship. It was about transformation. It was about this internal work, not this external work. But let's give Nicodemus some slack. Like I said, John is the only one that mentions him. And why? I think there's maybe a lesson in a person's progression and growth in Christ that we could all learn from. You remember how you started out? I remember how I started out. I remember I showed up at my mom's house one time and she was making, making pulled pork. This was like 20-something years ago. And I condemned her for watching TV, having a house, and eating pork. Because I read some things out of the Bible. Right? All the apostles didn't have houses in the beginning and they took up their... And they, did, they weren't supposed to eat pork. I found that in the Bible. Yeah, I just kind of mix it all together, you know. And then the TV was of the world, right? You can't love the world nor the things in the world. She had possessions, so I'm like, you, what do you call yourself, mom? <laughs> so disrespectful, so dishonorable. I'm like committing one sin and pointing out something else and disrespecting my parents. But I remember just having all zeal and no knowledge, right? And so... I got to give Nicodemus some slack. I haven't crossed any grace finish lines either. You know, Jesus could come to me and say, you call yourself a pastor? And he could just sit me down and show me a thing or two. I'm open to that because I'm still growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. But I want to show you something here. Nicodemus went from religion to relationship. He started as a teacher and ended up being a student of the master who taught him about regeneration and God's purpose to redeem and to restore man. He taught Nicodemus that to be a child of God and to enter into the kingdom, it comes by a second birth, by the Spirit, not a striving behavior by the flesh. And let me, let me show this to you. So John is the only one that mentions Nicodemus, and he mentions him three times. John chapter 3, John chapter 7, and John chapter 19. Let's look at the progression. I kind of came out hard on Nicodemus. You don't know these things, Nicodemus? But let's see what happens to Nicodemus the more he hangs out with Jesus. In John chapter 7, Jesus is caught in a religious argument. Nicodemus, John chapter 7, verse 50. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said unto the people, does, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? He came in and stood in the gap, and, and he came to the defense of Jesus in front of the people that if you thought... He was afraid and he came to Jesus by night. He's not afraid now. He's like, wait a second. You guys seem a little hypocritical. We're supposed to judge him without hearing him? Let's hear him out, right? Innocent until proven guilty. Check this out. This is where we'll end. John 19, verse 38. So Joseph buys the tomb. And I've been to the tomb in Israel. It's impressive. It's the garden tomb area. It's really cool. And that, we don't really know. You can't really put a price tag on that real estate right now, what it would cost. Probably in the millions and millions and millions. I don't know. Um, it's a, right outside the walls of Old Town Jerusalem. But here's in John 19, 38. So Joseph purchases this tomb. Nicodemus purchases all the spices that goes in the customary way to bury a person's body. Check this out. John chapter 19, verse 38. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. You ever carried a hay bale 
any old farm boys out here? I had to do that one summer. It's like you got to huck hay. Um, <laughs> I kind of walk like one a little bit right now. Um, hucking hay and doing hay bales, pretty heavy. But that's not 100 pounds. This is 100 pounds of spices that Nicodemus, who got schooled by Jesus, stood up for Jesus, and now is spending. People have done the math. The spices alone that are estimated in our, in our time would be worth between $150,000 and $200,000. So, yeah, it's a little bit hardcore on Nicodemus, but that's where he started. He was proud, teacher. He didn't know about transformation. He's like hanging out with Jesus a little bit more. Okay, you get a little bit more humble the more you hang out with Jesus. And then you get a little bit more sacrificial the more you hang out with Jesus. And you see a progression here with Nicodemus. And so Nicodemus, who first came by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. And then he took the body of Jesus and bound it in stripes of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews was to bury him. So how much do you think Jesus weighed? I know the pictures you see, like when, you, when you're in Utah, Jesus is Calvin Klein. I mean, he's like <laughs> blonde hair, blue eyes, totally ripped, <laughs> much like what you see before you today. <laughs> Just kidding. But, I mean, the Bible says he was, you know, not someone that you'd desire, average, Jewish, probably black hair, dark skin, probably, you know, Jewish-looking nose. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how, what he looked like. I don't know how much he weighed. I'm going to say like an average. Let's say 175, something like that. Okay, 175-pound dead body Jesus, 100 pounds of myrrh and aloe, 150 G's worth, right? <laughs> Wrap him up. And then Joseph and Nicodemus are then carrying the body to the tomb. Gives you a little bit different perspective on this teacher becomes student of Jesus. He learns about transformation. It was there in the Old Testament all along. We have the luxury now to be transformed and, and to look back and to see like, oh, okay, we could connect the dots, right? So hopefully today, if you've never been born again, I'd invite you to just receive Christ into your, into your life. It's something like this. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Will you come into my heart? Give me, forgive me. Um, give me the free gift of eternal life. Boom. Birth. You're in the kingdom. You don't have to behave. It's like you just were born in America and you're an American. You didn't do anything. But the second birth, you have to want it. You have to ask for it. If you are in the kingdom, spend more time with Jesus. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're like Nicodemus chapter 3. Maybe you're like Nicodemus chapter 7. Maybe you're like Nicodemus chapter 19. Doesn't really matter. Spend time with Jesus. Amen? Well, let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for using the Apostle John to give us some insights into this ruler of the Jews, of the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus, this teacher who became a student, who became a follower who became a sacrificial worshiper and lover of you and became an example to us. 
Lord, help us if we have been transformed to, I guess, spend more time with you and to look for ways to show others how they could have a relationship with you. And again, Lord, if there's someone here that's never asked you into their heart, may today be the day. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.